0: Amen. You may be seated. At the end of Luke 9, Luke records for us three encounters with Jesus. Three would-be disciples come to Jesus. And that first encounter goes something like this. As they were going along the road, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What was Jesus revealing when he said those words? What was he revealing about that would-be follower? He was revealing that that would-be follower was naive. That would-be follower was under some sort of impression, assumption, that following Jesus would be what? Easy. No problems. That the Christian life, and it wouldn't have been termed the Christian life at that point, but that the Christian life is a matter of going from one victory to another victory and all wonderful, and that the kingdom life is a breeze. And Jesus is saying, don't be naive. I don't even have a place to lay my head. The writer of Samuel makes a similar point. If you would, turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 2. We return there uh, this week. The writer of Samuel is making a similar point. He's telling us, that the kingdom life is not easy. Or more pointedly, he is telling us there will always be opposition to the kingdom of God. Now last week we began looking at chapter 2 and began looking at verses 1 through 11. And and I said, uh, on first blush it seems pretty simple, but then as you study it more it deepens, it deepens, it deepens. And that I had three points, and I gave you two of those last time, so we come to that third one. And that third point about uh, verses 1 through 11 is this. Again, there's always going to be opposition to the kingdom. And now let's see that opposition unfold. Began with verse eight. But Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim, and he made him king over Gilead and the Asherites and Jezreel and Ephraim and Benjamin and all Israel. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was forty years old when he began to reign over Israel, and he reigned two years. But the house of Judah followed David. And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. Now, Abner son of Ner and the servants of Ishbosheth, uh, the son of Saul, went out from Mahanim to Gibeon. And Joab the son of Zerai and the servants of David went out and met them at the pool of Gibeon. And they sat down. The one on the one side of the pool and the one on the other side of the pool. Let me pause here. It's not like, okay, let's go have a meeting and have a fun time together around this pool. Abner has set out in a military fashion. He's crossed over the Jordan. He's into the promised land. He is seeking to set up base. He's seeking to strengthen and rally Benjamites. He's seeking to put pressure on David. And Abner said to Joab, Let the young men arise and compete before us. We're going to have a war game. And Joab said, Let them arise. Then they arose and passed over by number 12 for Benjamin and Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and 12 of the servants of David. And each caught his opponent by the head and thrust his sword in his opponent's side. So they fell down together. Therefore, that place was called Helkoth. Uh, Hazarim, which is at Gibeon. And the battle was fierce that day. And Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. And the three sons of Zerai were there Joab, Abishai, and Asahel. Now Asahel was as swift of foot as a wild gazelle. And Asahel pursued Abner. And as he went, he turned neither to the right hand nor to the left from following Abner. Then Abner, looking behind him, said, Is it you, Asahel? And he answered, Is I? And Abner said to him, Turn aside to your right hand or to your left and seize one of the young men and take his spoil. But Asahel would not turn aside from following him. And Abner said again to Asahel, Turn aside from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How then could I lift up my face to your brother Joab? But he refused to turn aside, and therefore Abner struck him in the stomach with the butt of his spear so that the spear came out at his back, and he fell there and died where he was. And all who came to the place where Asahel had fallen and died stood still. But Joab and Abishai pursued Abner. And as the sun was going down, they came to the hill of Hamah, which lies before Giah on the way to the wilderness of Gibeon. And the people of Benjamin gathered themselves together behind Abner and became one group, took their stand on top of the hill. Then Abner called to Joab, "'Shall the sword devour forever? "'Do you not know that the end will be bitter? "'How long will it be before you tell your people to turn "'from the pursuit of their brothers?' And Joab said, As God lives, if you had not spoken, surely the men would not have given up the pursuit of their brothers until the morning. So Joab blew the trumpet, and all the men stopped and pursued Israel no more, nor did they fight any more. And Abner and his men went all that night through the Arabah, and they crossed the Jordan, and marching the whole morning they came to Mahanim. And Joab returned from the pursuit of Abner, And when he had gathered all the people together, there were missing from David's servants 19 men beside Asahel. But the servants of David had struck down of Benjamin 360 of Abner's men. And they took up Asahel and buried him in the tomb of his father, which was at Bethlehem. And Joab and his men marched all night, and the day broke upon them at Hebron. And it needs not stop here. Let's move into chapter 3, just one verse. There was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. And David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul became weaker and weaker. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The kingdom of God will always, in this fallen world, before the second coming of Christ, will always face Opposition. The kingdom of God through King David faced opposition from the very beginning. I want us to think about three things rather quickly this morning about that opposition. The first and the most obvious is the reality of opposition. The reality of opposition. No sooner had the men of Judah anointed David, made him basically their chief, no sooner does he then, David, uh, go forth issuing beautiful, gracious, royal uh, invitations to the men of Jabesh Gilead to join the kingdom. It seems as if no sooner than that happens, automatically there arises opposition. Well, the opposition probably arose about five and a half years past that time. Point during the reign of David from Hebron. But notice it arose. Opposition to God's anointed arose. There's always opposition to God's king. And that opposition came from a familiar face came from a man by the name of Abner. Abner had been the commander of Saul's forces. We've seen him before. We saw David, in a sense, humiliate Abner when Abner wasn't paying close enough guard by the power of God. He wasn't paying close enough guard to his master Saul. And it seems as if Abner has remembered that humiliation. And Abner nurses his wounds... After the fall of Saul, after the fall of Jonathan, he gathers his strength and he strikes. And he opposes David. And it's a reality of his opposition. It's a reality against positive examples. He had seen the men of Judah offer allegiance to David. He saw that godly example. He ignored it. It was an opposition, or the reality of the opposition was against all those gracious offers that David had given to the men of Jabesh-Gilead. And those offers would have been extended to all the tribes of Israel, including to Abner. And it was an opposition against the godly patience of David. David is... Is anointed. He's the one who's been anointed by God. Now he's the one who's recognized as the anointed by the men of Judah. And he doesn't notice. He doesn't, after he is anointed by them, after he is, is, is basically crowned their chieftain, he doesn't then go into military campaigns throughout Israel to make sure everybody was going to follow him. He waited. He waited patiently upon the Lord. And Abner's opposition is an opposition against all that. All those things should have kept... Abner from doing what he did, but they didn't. And if the kingdom of God, brothers and sisters, through David faced opposition, how much more so will the kingdom of God through the son of David, in the son of David, in the Lord Jesus Christ and through him, how much more so will this expression of the kingdom of God be opposed Brothers and sisters, never, never be naive in this fallen world. Never be so naive as to think all will be roses with no thorns. Never be so naive as to think there will never be struggles as a Christian in the Christian church in the kingdom of God. One of the best defenses is knowledge, knowing that we will face opposition, that you will face opposition, I think, of the inhabitants of Vienna. Vienna, uh, back in, I think, 1500s and 1600s, faced the onslaught of the Ottoman Turks. And in the first basic battle that God delivered them from the Ottoman Turks using weather... They learned of the dangers of their opponents. They learned that they had opponents. They learned that the Ottoman Turks were seeking to take all of Europe through the gates of Vienna. They knew what had happened. So 100 years after that, they are prepared. They know. Knowledge was a great defense. And as they saw the threat arising again, they sought to have alliances with others, and particularly a king from Poland. They sought to have an alliance with a Savior. One of the best defenses is knowledge. Know this. In your Christian life, you will face opposition. This church will face opposition. The kingdom will face opposition. I want you to think a little bit further about that opposition. It's perverse. It's perverse. That's the second thing to see from this text. And that's the perversity of the opposition of Abner. What do I mean by that? He opposes David and he knows that David was God's anointed. He knows that David is to be the king. And even with that knowledge, what does he do? He opposes. Go over to chapter 3. Glance down, we'll get into the full story, Lord willing, soon. Because he's going to have a falling out with a man, the puppet king he puts up on the throne. And notice in verse 9, in that, in that anger, in, in that falling out, he says, God do so to Abner and more also if I do not accomplish for David what the Lord has sworn to him to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah, from Dan to Beersheba. He knew God had anointed and appointed David to be king. And yet in chapter 2, even despite that knowledge, what does he do? He opposes David. He opposes him. And in opposition, what does he do? In that opposition, he establishes an anti Messiah, does he not? And that's what Ishbosheth is. He is the anti Messiah. And Abner's opposition is also opposition against brotherly unity. Be clear here the opposition of the kingdom is not coming from Egyptians. The opposition of the kingdom is not coming from Ammonites. It's not coming from Amorites. It's not coming from Amalekites. It's not coming from Philistines. It's coming from whom? Israelites. It's coming from professing members of the Abrahamic covenant, it's coming from within. I'm afraid that it's true that the greatest opposition to kingdom advance often comes from within. From within. Not from without. We're all worried about those on the outside and their opposition to Christ and his kingdom. But brothers and sisters, don't be naive. The greatest opposition comes oftentimes. From within. From within churches. From within mission fields. And we, we're blessed with missionaries in this congregation. You know, it's just a wonderful blessing. And they know the truth of what I'm speaking of. And that opposition oftentimes arises where? Church, mission field, and the home. In the home. And I should say that with tears in my eyes. And also with this prayer. Lord, please don't let the opposition come from me. 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 From my pride. From my wanting to be on the throne. From my wanting my way from my wanting everybody else to give me the glory. Abner's opposition was perverse. It was also against common grace wisdom. He knows what he's doing. He takes a force. He crosses over the Jordan. He goes into the promised land, and he's going close enough to agitate. If you kick a hornet's nest, don't be surprised if you get stung. Kingdom opposition is perverse, and it also is, please note this, and I say this word often, and there's a reason. Kingdom opposition is stupid. It is stupid. Now, while these first two points are somber, Somber warnings It's the final point that's a blessed encouragement. There is the reality of opposition. There's the perversity of opposition, but there's also the futility of opposition. Verse 1 of chapter 3 is absolutely glorious. There was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, and David grew stronger and stronger, while the house of Saul became weaker and weaker. All that Abner had done was what? Falling apart. Such encouragement. Two encouragements there, notice. Particularly for you who are already in a struggle. That struggle might be in the home that struggle might be with the broader church community. The struggle is somewhere in your life. There was a long war. There was a long war. There was a long war. Sometimes your struggle may go on and on and on and on and on. Don't be naive to think there's always a quick and easy answer that removes that that pain that you are facing because of that opposition. It's long. But is it eternal? There was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, and David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul became weaker and weaker, and I want to say weaker and weaker and weaker, and one day... There will be no more. For that opposition will be thrown into the lake of fire for eternity. The day is coming. And fishers of men who follow the great king of kings and seek to live their lives as we have heard expressed in the beatitudes might fear that kingdom opposition will rule the day then it's going to win but the true the victorious power of patience humility and trust true kingdom power will win. And David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul became weaker and weaker. If you're struggling and if your struggle is because you are following after Christ, if you're being persecuted for righteousness' sake, know this, that opposition has an end point. The Lord will never leave you nor forsake you. He will walk with you. He will walk with His church. And His church and His kingdom will be victorious. And all the kingdoms of men will become the kingdoms of our God and of His Christ. And the greater David will reign in perfect peace and glory. That day is coming. Persevere. But let me tell you this in that perseverance, recognize you too can oftentimes be like a stupid, perverse Abner. How often does Lee want to sit on the throne? Far too often. How often does Lee want to control all the things that I want to control? Far too often. My suspicion is I'm not the only one out there. Thank you, Jim. It's always great to have, it's always great to have a Gideon uh, with us. Amen. Lord, protect me from being an Abner. Protect you from being an Abner. Let us be a faithful follower of Christ. Following this faithful example of David at this point. Patience, humility, trust. Let's pray. We can't do this, Heavenly Father, on our own. We can't patiently wait on our own. We can't trust on our own but we don't do these things on our own. You're a God of great and rich and abundant grace, and you pour out your grace upon your people. Pour that grace out even now, particularly as we prepare to come to this table, this table that reminds us that we do have brothers and sisters in Christ, and what a perverse thing it is to be in opposition against brothers and sisters. Help us to see this table as that call to to unity where there is conflict. Help us to see that this table is provision for that conflict as we endure it. Help us to see this as testimony that you never leave or forsake your people. And help us, as we come to this table, to be reminded that our Savior is King that the one who shed his blood on our behalf is one day coming in great glory. Help us through this simple meal, this simple means of grace, to be strengthened and edified, to follow more closely after him, not naive, but wise and with faith. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.